Abbas Effendi en route to Washington. The hearts of the friends in Washington were gladdened and their souls refreshed by the presence of Abdu'l-Bahá from Saturday, April 20th to Sunday, April 28th. Words are inadequate to describe the joy imparted by this visit, nor can one yet realize all it is meant to us. April 29th, Prophet Abdu'l-Bahá here, Chicago Examiner. World harmony is aim of Abdu'l-Bahá, Chicago Interim. May 6th, gives new creed talk, Cleveland Plains. Baha'is to hear venerable leader, Cleveland News. May 12th, philosopher from the East returns to New York, says, wars. Religious, racial, or political, have arisen from human ignorance, misunderstanding, and lack of education. The master travels to Lake Mohonk, New York, for three days at the National Conference on Peace and International Arbitration. Abdu'l-Bahá speaks on the first day on the oneness of the reality of humankind. Many in attendance were impressed and came on the platform to thank him. One such attendee recounts this story. After the talk, Abdu'l-Bahá told us a story. Once, the rats and the mice held an important conference, the subject of which was how to make peace with a cat. After a long and heated discussion, it was decided that the best thing to do would be to tie a bell around the neck of the cat so that the rats and mice would be warned of his movements and have time to get out of his way. This seemed like an excellent plan until the question arose as to who should undertake the dangerous job of belling the cat. None of the rats liked the idea and the mice thought they were altogether too weak. So the conference broke up in confusion. Everyone laughed, Abdu'l-Bahá with us. After a short pause, he added that that is much like these peace conferences. Many words, but no one is likely to approach the question of who will bell the Tsar of Russia, the Emperor of Germany, the President of France, and the Emperor of Japan. Our faces were now more grave. Abdu'l-Bahá laughed again. There is a divine club, he said, which shall break their power into pieces. You're listening to the Journey West podcast, dedicated to following the travels of Abdu'l-Bahá in the West. Welcome to the podcast. At the top of the show, we chronicled some of the places Abdu'l-Bahá visited thus far in his journey through the states. One of the primary reasons for his visit was due to his invitation to the peace conference held at Lake Mohonk. Abdu'l-Bahá's desire was to spread the message of his father about the fundamental principles of universal peace and the unity of mankind. While the example of the mice and rats appears simple, the ideas alluded to are real. In the World Order of Baha'u'llah, written by Shoghi Effendi, he elaborates on the magnitude of this topic, saying, Let there be no mistake, the principle of the oneness of mankind, the pivot round which all the teachings of Baha'u'llah revolve, 
is no mere outburst of ignorant emotionalism or an expression of vague and pious hope. Its appeal is not to be merely identified with a reawakening of the spirit of brotherhood and goodwill among men, nor does it aim solely at the fostering of harmonious cooperation among individual peoples and nations. Its implications are deeper, its claims greater than any which the prophets of old were allowed to advance. Its message is applicable not only to the individual, but concerns itself primarily with the nature of those essential relationships that must bind all the states and nations as members of one human family. As a complement to the idea of the oneness of mankind, this week's talk discusses gender equality. At this point in American history, there was no federal law allowing women the right to vote. It wasn't until 1920, eight years after Abdu'l-Baha's visit to America, that the 19th Amendment was passed. It stated that the right of citizens of the United States to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex. Many times during his journey, the master spoke to women's suffrage groups. Let us hear now from one of these talks given in New York, read by a regular contributor, Sophie. 20 May 1912, talk at women's suffrage meeting, Metropolitan Temple. Today, questions of the utmost importance are facing humanity, questions peculiar to this radiant century. In former centuries, there was not even mention of them. Inasmuch as this is a century of illumination, the century of humanity, the century of divine bestowals, these questions are being presented for the expression of public opinion. And in all the countries of the world, Discussion is taking place looking to their solution. One of these questions concerns the rights of women and her equality with men. In past ages, it was held that women and men were not equal. That is to say, woman was considered inferior to man, even from the standpoint of her anatomy and creation. She was considered especially inferior in intelligence, and the idea prevailed universally that it was not allowable for her to step into the arena of important affairs. In some countries, man went so far as to believe and teach that woman belonged to a sphere lower than human. But in this century, which is the century of light and the revelation of mysteries, God is proving to the satisfaction of humanity that all this is ignorance and error. Nay, rather, it is well established that mankind and womankind as parts of composite humanity are co-equal and that no difference in estimate is allowable for all or human. The conditions in past centuries were due to woman's lack of opportunity. She was denied the right and privilege of education and left in her undeveloped state. Naturally, she could not and did not advance. In reality, God has created all mankind and in the estimation of God, there is no distinction as to male and female. The one whose heart is pure is acceptable in his sight, be that one man or woman. God does not inquire, art thou woman or art thou man? He judges human actions. If these are acceptable in the threshold of the glorious one, 
men and women will be equally recognized and rewarded. Furthermore, the education of women is more necessary and important than that of men, for woman is a trainer of the child from its infancy. If she be defective and imperfect herself, the child will necessarily be deficient. Therefore, imperfection of woman implies a condition of imperfection in all mankind, for it is the mother who rears, nurtures and guides the growth of the child. This is not a function of the father. If the educator be incompetent, the educated will correspondingly lacking. This is evident and incontrovertible. Could the student be brilliant and accomplished if the teacher is illiterate and ignorant? The mothers are the first educators of mankind. If they be imperfect, alas for the condition and future of the race. Again, it is well established in history that where a woman has not participated in human affairs, the outcomes have never attained a state of completion and perfection. On the other hand, every influential undertaking of the human world, wherein woman has been a participant, has attained importance. This is historically true and beyond disproof, even in religion. Jesus Christ had 12 disciples and among his followers, a woman known as Mary Magdalene. Judas Iscariot had become a traitor and hypocrite, and after the crucifixion, the remaining 11 disciples were wavering and undecided. It is certain from the evidence of the Gospels that the one who comforted them and re-established their faith was Mary Magdalene. The world of humanity consists of two parts, male and female. Each is a complement of the other. Therefore, if one is defective, the other will necessarily be incomplete and perfection cannot be attained. There is a right hand and a left hand in the human body functionally equal in service and administration. If either proves defective, the defect will naturally extend to the other by involving the completeness of the whole. For accomplishment is not normal unless both are perfect. If we say one hand is deficient, we prove the inability and incapacity of the other. For single-handed, there is no full accomplishment. Just as physical accomplishment is complete with two hands, so man and woman, the two parts of the social body, must be perfect. It is not natural that either should remain undeveloped, and until both are perfected, the happiness of the human world will not be realized. The most momentous question of this day is international peace and arbitration, and universal peace is impossible without universal suffrage. Children are educated by the women, the mother bears the troubles and anxieties of rearing the child, undergoes the ordeal of its birth and training. Therefore, it's most difficult for mothers to send to the battlefield those upon whom they have lavished such love and care. Consider a son reared and trained 20 years by a devoted mother. What sleepless nights and restless, anxious days she has spent. Having brought him through dangers and difficulties to the age of maturity, how agonizing then to sacrifice him upon the battlefield. Therefore, the mothers will not sanction war, nor be satisfied with it. So it will come to pass that when women participate fully and equally in the affairs of the world, when they enter confidently and capably the great arena of laws and politics, war will cease, 
for woman will be the obstacle and hindrance to it. This is true and without doubt. It has been objected by some that woman is not equally capable with man and that she is deficient by creation. This is pure imagination. The difference in capability between man and woman is due entirely to opportunity and education. Heretofore, woman has been denied the right and privilege of equal development. If equal opportunity be granted her, there is no doubt she would be the peer of man. History will evidence this. In past ages, noted women have arisen in the affairs of nations and surpassed men in their accomplishments. Among them was Zenobia, queen of the East, whose capital was Palmyra. Even today, the site of that city bears witness to her greatness, ability and sovereignty. For there the traveler will find ruins of palaces and fortifications of the utmost strength and solidity built by this remarkable woman in the third century after Christ. She was the wife of the governor-general of Athens. After her husband's death, she assumed control of the government in his stead and ruled her province most efficiently. Afterwards, she conquered Syria, subdued Egypt and founded the most wonderful kingdom with political sagacity and thoroughness. Among other historical women was Catherine I, wife of Peter the Great. Russia and Turkey were at war. Mohammed Pasha, commander of the Turkish forces, had defeated Peter and was about to take St. Petersburg. The Russians were in a most critical position. Catherine, the wife of Peter, said, I will arrange this matter. She had an interview with Mohammed Pasha, negotiated a treaty of peace and induced him to turn back. She saved her husband and her nation. This was a great accomplishment. Afterwards, she was crowned Empress of Russia and ruled with wisdom until her death. The discovery of America by Columbus was during the reign of Isabella of Spain, to whose intelligence and assistance this wonderful accomplishment was largely due. In brief, many remarkable women have appeared in the history of the world, but further mention of them is not necessary. Today among the Baha'is of Persia, there are many women who are the very pride and envy of the man. They are imbued with all the virtues and excellences of humanity. They are eloquent, they are poets and scholars, and embody the quintessence of humility. In political ability and acumen, they have been able to cope and compete with representative men. They have consecrated their lives and forfeited their possessions in martyrdom for the sake of humanity, and the traces of their glory will last forever. The pages of the history of Persia are illumined by the lives and records of these women. The purpose in brief is this, that if woman be fully educated and granted her rights, she will attain the capacity for wonderful accomplishments and prove herself the equal of man. She is the co-editor of man, his complement and helpmate. Both are human, both are endowed with potentialities of intelligence and embody the virtues of humanity. In all human powers and functions there are partners and co-equals. At present, in spheres of human activity, woman does not manifest her natal prerogatives, owing to lack of education and opportunity. Without doubt, education will establish her equality with men. Consider the animal kingdom, where no distinction is observed between male and female. They are equal in powers and privileges. Among birds of the air, no distinction is evidenced. Their powers are equal. 
they dwell together in complete unity and mutual recognition of rights. Shall we not enjoy the same equality? Its absence is not befitting to mankind. And now on to our third segment of the show, the Roundtable Discussion Group. Hi, I'm Shira. I'm a teacher. Hi, I'm Cedric, and I'm a student. I'm Nathan Mato. I'm a social worker. Something that I found um, really fascinating about reading this talk was um, that thinking about you know the time period that he gave this talk and what the world was like at the time that he gave it, that um, it was kind of before the equality of men and women was really strongly recognized at an international level. And so to read this in the context of that, but then also to reflect on the fact that that was only 100 years ago, you know, that we're still basically in the infancy of understanding what equality of men and women actually is, that maybe um, on an international level it has been recognized that men and women are equal and should be equal, but at the same time, um, it's only within one lifetime that that understanding has come to pass, and so it's still only manifest really in words that we often think that, oh, because we've come to this decision, then everything just magically falls into place. But in reality, there are still so many symptoms of inequality um, that it will take us generations to work through. And I think maybe having patience with the world around us and the growth of um, understanding and also recognizing how much we have accomplished in the past hundred years is really important when discussing this topic. Yeah, and it's very interesting when Abdu'l-Bahá goes through all those um, happenings in the history, how whenever there was material progress, the social um, life and equality more or less degressed, that um, men would always suppress women when they became stronger, invented new weapons, or whatever. And that there always, in between, were times where men and women actually were equal to each other, or at least more equal than in other times. And, well, that gives hope for the future, for the world. Yeah, it's a very important subject that touches a lot on uh, the new civilization. In order for us, the civilization to take its roots, we need a transform transformation. And transformation will start from the young gener generation, which is uh, going to play, to play a very major role in transforming the society. And for the society to change, if the children cannot change their moral contacts, their characters, the way they can handle themselves, then it becomes very important. So for any change to happen, it will start from uh, maybe women to get a very proper kind of knowledge so that they can instill the morals in the children, whether junior youth or towards the entire society in transformation of the new world order that we are yearning for. 
I think what you were saying first was something that really hit me as I was reading this, this idea that the mothers are the first educators of mankind. I, um, as a woman, I found that very scary. But it's also something um, that I thought a lot about as a teacher because I found from experience that um, you can't teach a child to do something that you yourself aren't doing. You, you can't raise a generation to be better than you if you're not trying to be as good as you want them to be. It's not to say that you have to be perfect, but you have to be striving to em embody the attributes that you're trying to get them to achieve or else it's not gonna work because kids follow your example a lot more than they follow your words. Yeah, it's like when Abdul Baha says that you can tell me a thousand times that you love me, but if you don't, I won't feel it. So um, I guess that's one very good point you have there for like to work for betterment, that we should all see that if we don't do anything about this, or we don't, um, we don't try to be good role models in being equal with each other, then our children can never learn this. And I mean, it's children, it's like learning a language. Children learn a language, their mother language, in a natural way without vocabulary learning or grammar. And if they can just learn equality like that, um, it's very natural and just normal for them to have that. This idea of mothers being more involved in society, preventing wars actually, really reminded me of a song that I learned when I was, I don't know, 14 or 15 at a youth camp. And it, it said, when every woman of the world has her mindset on freedom, when every woman of the world dreams a sweet dream of peace, when every woman from every nation, young and old, each generation, holds her hand out in the name of love, there will be no more war. And it was interesting to me because I don't think I actually understood that song until I read this talk. Um, because I would always read it and think, okay, well, that's great, but where does the man, like what role does the man play in it? And I, I don't think I understood this idea that it's, it's about love, that it's all about the relationship that the mother has with the child and that, um, that when we feel this sense of love and we raise our children to feel the sense of love and we raise our children to, instead of um, living in a world filled with competition and filled with seeing it as us and them, we raise them to um, have an outward looking orientation and to promote unity and to be servants for their fellow man. And that we stand up and say, this is how I, this is the, the world that I want my kids to grow up in, and we say this is wrong, that things will change. And I think it's amazing to see it written, especially a hundred years ago, but also to, to recognize that it's possible, because I think often we, um, we think, oh, I'm just one person, I don't really have a voice, I can't really make a difference, but the truth is the more people who are empowered to speak up and to share this sense of love with the world, um, the more the world will change. I like very much in this context the example of the two hands that Abdu'l-Baha uses. 
the institution of hands doesn't exist with only one hand. So, but like we don't do the same things with both hands. Like with one hand we, we write and stuff like that. With the other hand we eat, for example. So there are different um, things for men and women to do. So if, if I only use my right hand to write and so on, I will starve sooner or later. And the same happens to the world. That just shows that it is very important that both sides of gender, that both hands have to work each, with each other and they both have to progress next to each other. Yeah, if, uh, if you want to progress also in this entire world in, or in a society, given society, we need to balance these arms, both of these arms, both the, 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 the mother and the father. For example, peace cannot start in a, maybe in the society without a peace being established within the family. Peace starts with the family. And if there's no peace in the family, then there's no peace that we are yearning for to get in this world before we get from the family. Both the man and the woman should be united in order to bring up a generation or a society that, is, that has a peaceful and uh, moral way of characters that can promote that peaceful that we are yearning for. So peace should start within the family, the society, and then the entire world. That's it for the podcast this week. Special thanks to Sophie Gesher for reading, Ari Karzak, Rory Cunningham, and Anna Costales for participating in the feature. Also thanks to our guests, Shira Trick, Cedric Link, and Nathan Mado for participating in the roundtable discussion group. If you'd like more information about Abdu'l-Baha's travels in the West, visit our website, www.thejourneywest.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at The Journey West. Thanks, everyone. Bye.